I want to thank you guys all for joining us for church today. Thank you, Sarah. And th thank you to our online audience as well, uh, whether you're joining us from uh, the Northwest or they're joining us in Arizona, Alaska, California, wherever you guys are. And if you guys are in-house, we're so grateful that you are spending this time with us. We started a brand new series last week. It was part one, and the series is called How to Study the Bible. I know it's not the most creative title that we've ever come up with. Um, I was looking through my old sermon series and sermons, and I think one of the best titles I came up with was, uh, I think it was last year, I had a sermon called What's Your Vomit? You guys remember that one? I thought that was a good title. This one, not so much. But how to study the Bible is what we're talking about for the next few weeks. And last week, Pastor Jonathan started the message series off real strong to talk about like the basics, basic idea of what the series is about, what it is and what it is not, what we are trying to do and what we are not trying to do in this series. So I highly encourage you guys to check that out. If you haven't seen it or you heard it and, 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 and as we move on, I encourage you to go back to our podcast, YouTube channel, and check out that message. As we begin today, though, I want to just share with you, because I haven't had a chance to, is to share with you guys my heart behind the series and, and really why we are talking about how to study the Bible. And, uh, and, and what it really comes down to is 22 years ago, I had a moment, right? Like, I had a moment in my life where, where I became, I decided to be really serious about my relationship with Jesus, when I was 17 years old, I made that decision. In fact, I made two decisions that would really impact a lot of, um, uh, of who I was and where I'm at. And as I think about like my life now and what I've experienced and what I'm doing, it all comes back to this one moment and those two decisions that I made. And uh, it was a, when I was 17 years old, I made that decision to truly accept Jesus into my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And some of you guys know the story that one of our church members, Dan, was a part of that story. It was a really cool story. If you want to know the details, ask him about it. It's really cool. Um, but when I decided to accept Jesus into my life as my personal Savior and get real serious about my relationship with him, I also made a decision at that time to also start reading the Bible. And it was those two decisions that really changed the trajectory of my life. So I decided I'm going to start reading the Bible. And this is what I had at home. Okay? And uh, some of you guys may remember this. Do you guys remember this bad boy? Do you guys remember this bad boy back in like the 90s? The one-year Bible, right? And then this is, we had this at home. I don't know where we got it, but I was like, okay, sounds good. I'm going to read the Bible in one year. So I grabbed this off the shelf, and this became my Bible. And I decided I'm going to read the Bible every day, I'm going to read it and study and learn it, and like, this is going to be amazing. Now, what happened was not actually that. I did not read the Bible in one year, so for me, it was more like the three-year Bible, because I finished actually reading the Bible, I mean, a few years later, um, and I, I didn't understand a lot of it. Um, There's a lot of questions that I had. I, I would read it, and, and if you guys know anything about the one-year Bible, the way it's divided, it's not just like the Bible divided into 365 days. What they did was they took the Bible, and in each day, so January 1st, there was a reading from Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. And then in one year, you read the whole Bible, right? And in one, in one day, you're reading bits and pieces of the whole, you know, different parts of the Bible. It's not just like one thing, and you're just kind of continuing. Um, and I would read it, and for most of it, I was like, I don't know what this is about. I don't know what this is talking about. I would basically say, all right, God, I'll, go to, I'll have my, my prayer time. I said, God, I'm going to read the Bible now. Amen. I'd open the Bible, and I would read it. 
And then I would close it and say, God, I read the Bible today. Amen. And that was it. That's like all I did because I'm like the 17-year-old. I don't know much. You know, I, I grew up in church, but, you know, I didn't really pay attention and like, you know, just doing your own thing. And I didn't get it. But what happened was as I began to read and read and read, and as this became a part of my life, questions started coming up. What am I reading? What is this about? That doesn't make any sense. Why is that there? And as I began to ask these questions, I began to engage in the Word of God. And then what God did to me and in me as I, as I met him in Scripture, it changed my life. Like, that's why I'm here. It all can be traced back to that moment, that decision, and also that decision to read the Bible for myself. So if you've ever read the Bible and you were like, what is this? I don't understand this. I totally get you. I was totally there. I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. But stick with it. If you study and you engage with God in Scripture, and that's what we're talking about in this series, it can change. It has the power to change your life. Like So that's my heart behind the series. That's why we're doing a series called How to Study the Bible, because of what it did for me and what I hope and pray it's going to do for you. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about, I think maybe one of the most important messages of this whole series, we're going to be talking about the purpose of Bible study. What is the real purpose of Bible study? And by understanding the purpose of Bible study, you will understand what is the posture to have as you approach Bible study. And it may be different than what many of you think. And when you think of like, oh, this is what Bible study is really about, next week may point you in a different direction. It's going to be really, really important for all of us next week. So we hope you guys will join us for that. Today, though, we are talking about the overall unifying story of the Bible. Like, what is the Bible really about? Right? It's the big picture, or to use a fancy word, the meta-narrative of Scripture. What is the Bible really about? So that by understanding the overarching story, you can look at the little pieces that may seem confusing and irrelevant and boring, as Pastor Jonathan talked about last week. And when you see the big picture, you can see how they all fit. And it's a really powerful thing to understand. So let's pray. Let's get into part two of how to study the Bible. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, I, I, I know that this is what you want us to talk about. Um, and, and in so many ways, I feel really convicted about this. I feel like this is what you're calling us to do in this season, to really get back to the word, to engage with you in scripture, Father. But, but these messages are hard, Lord. Uh, and, and for a number of ways, you know that I've struggled to prepare this message. And so, God, I just give it completely all to you. Just surrender it fully and completely to you now, Father. Thank you, Father. Help us to hear you through this. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, do you guys ever feel like God is messing with you in your life? Do you guys ever feel that? Where, like, you got something, you have a plan, and then something just changes it completely? Like, I don't know. Do you guys like that? Like, do you guys like it when God messes with you? You know, sometimes it's like a real nice experience. And you're like, oh, okay, God, let's see what you do here. This week, God totally messed with me, all right? Because this week, like all week, I was preparing this message, and I had this, it wasn't done, but I had this message, this framework, okay, this is it. And then I even like outlined most of it. I got about half of it written, and then God says, sorry, Chris, that's not what you're talking about tomorrow. This was last night. At about 9 p.m., God says, that's not what you're talking about. This is what I want you 
to talk about. Like, oh, God, you messing with me, man. Right, so this is, this is kind of like, this is a little bit scary for me because this is fresh, man. Like, this was just last night, and I don't like to admit when I, like, work on sermons late Friday night. You know, in, sem- in, in undergrad, we call those Friday night specials. I don't like to talk about that, right, because I think you would want me to be, like, finishing my sermon maybe Sunday, right, like the day after church maybe. Oh, you know, he, he finished, he gave it time. But, you know, this was not a me thing. This was a God thing, I believe. And he's messing with me as we talk about this overarching story of the Bible. Now, some of you guys probably have an understanding of what is that unifying story of the Bible. Like, you have, you know what that is. And, and you know how, like, Genesis relates to Jeremiah, relates to the Gospels, to the Epistles, to Revelation. And you see the thread. And you have, like, an understanding of what that is. And if you do, that is awesome, and that is amazing. And in in no way am I saying that your understanding of the story of the Bible is wrong. I am not saying that at all. And I am not saying that my version or what I'm going to tell you guys today about how I see the story of the Bible, like, that's more right than the way you think it. That's not the point. Right, because I think all those ways, all those different ways to understand the big picture of Scripture are all really helpful. Like, they're all really helpful, and if it's meaningful for you, that's fantastic, right? And so I'm not trying to say that yours is wrong, mine is right, and you got to believe what I believe. That's actually not what I'm talking about, because I think the different understandings or, or, or perspectives on the big picture really are just about emphasizing different aspects of the story. And what I want to share with you today is the story in my mind, in my eyes, as I've discovered, that takes a real big step back from the Bible, from the overall story and the details that helps us to see something beautiful in the Bible, something compelling in the Bible, and something that is powerful in Scripture. So when we uh, talk about the story of the Bible, or story in general, there are two very important questions that we have to ask. And this is kind of what kind of informs us as we try to understand the story of Scripture. And I want to start by reading a few verses from Mark chapter 1. And in Mark chapter 1, we are given these questions, or these concepts that leads to questions. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3 says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. That's important. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. As Mark writes his gospel, this is how he begins. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and is written in Isaiah the prophet. So, as we think about what he says here, the first question we have to ask to understand the story of the Bible is who is the main character of the story. In the story of the Bible, who is the main character? Spoiler alert, it's not you. You are not the main character. You are not the protagonist of the story of the Bible. Main character is not you. According to Mark, he mentions someone very specifically. Right, this is a really important question to ask because depending on who the main character is, the story looks very different, doesn't it? All right, think about, think about some of the famous stories, the famous movies that you've seen. And in every story, there's a protagonist, the main character, the hero, and the story is told from their point of view. What happens if you look at the story from the point of view of the villain? Right? The best example of this is, um, how many of you guys seen The Wizard of Oz? 
The Wizard of Oz. You guys seen Wizard of Oz? Okay. Most, oh, okay, we got some young people. Wizard of Oz tells the story. The main character is who? Dorothy. Remember, there's no place like home, right? Dorothy and Toto. Is his name Toto or Tutu? Toto, right? Toto and Dorothy in Oz. They're the main character, and they tell the story of their journey and adventure in, in, in Oz. And then years later, a book came out slash musical called Wicked. Have you guys seen Wicked? Wicked tells the exact same story, but from what perspective? From the perspective of the, the wicked witch of the West, Alphaba. And the story is completely different. It is a completely different, ba- different story based on who the main character is. Think about the story of King Kong. Okay, You guys all know who King Kong is, right? I'm assuming no matter how old you are, you know who King Kong is. Big giant gorilla, climbs New York uh, Empire State Building, uh, you know, breaks down the airplanes and stuff like that. Right? Like from, that, from that story, the main character being those people who go. Have you ever thought about the story of King Kong from King Kong's perspective? Right? I think King Kong is the actual good guy of the story, right? Because think about King Kong's life. He's like chilling on his island. It's fantastic. He's gigantic. No one messes with him. And then these little people come out of nowhere and put him in a cage, take him to New York, and what do you expect him to do, right? The story of King Kong is completely different from King Kong's perspective. Also, all the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park, okay? The story is completely different based on who the main character is. So when it comes to the Bible, who is the main character? If you think you are the main character of the Bible, you will read the Bible differently. If you think the nation of Israel is the main character of the Bible, you will read the Bible differently. You'll interpret it differently. According to Mark, he says, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. And then he quotes Isaiah. The story is about Jesus, the Messiah, not just now in my time as I'm writing because of what I experienced, but there's a thread connecting it to even Isaiah in the Old Testament scriptures. In the, in the, the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures, we see that this Jesus is there as well. As we, as, as we think about our understanding of the Godhead, we can say that the main character of the Bible is Jesus, the Son of God, the main character of the Bible is, and, and this is no surprise to you, is God. The main character of the Bible is God. And so the story of the Bible is not about what we are doing, but about what God is doing. The main story, the main character of the Bible is God. So the story of the Bible is looking at God's interactions, God's actions in relation to what is happening in this world. When you look at the Bible from that perspective, things change a little bit. The second question that we have to ask before we understand the story of the Bible, he says that uh, the beginning of good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the good news, the, God, the Greek word euangelion, which is translated gospel, the good news. So the second question we have to ask if you want to understand the, the story of the Bible is, is the story good news or bad news? When you look at the Bible, And as you understand the Bible or seek to understand it, if the Bible is bad news, you have an incorrect understanding of the Bible. Because according to Mark, he says this main character, Jesus, God, his story is a story of good news for all people. This is important because this is the way we can evaluate how we understand Scripture. If the way you understand Scripture is is that it leads you to a place of condemnation, of judgment, of, of guilting, of shaming, of fear, then you have 
an incorrect or incomplete understanding of the Bible because it's supposed to be good news. You know, some people believe that the story of the Bible is essentially about how we get to heaven. That's actually not good news. It's good news for some, but it's not good news for others. So, so and we've talked about this in, in a past series at our, at our church called Some Good News. When Jesus talked about the good news, the gospel, he actually mentioned, did not mention anything about heaven, hell, where you go when you die, what you have to do to get there. Right, when Jesus talked about in the very same chapter of Mark chapter 1, as he was talking about the good news, he explains the good news, and he says, it says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news was that the kingdom of God has come near. This was good news. In Jesus' mind, this was good news for all people, for all nations, for all time. So with these two kind of thoughts or these two answers to those questions in mind, who's the main character of the Bible? God. Is the story good news or bad news? It must be good news for everyone. This is what I think is the real story. Not the real story. This is what I think is an understanding, way we can understand the story of the Bible. The union and reunion of heaven and earth is the story of the Bible. The union and reunion of heaven and earth is the story of the Bible. And I want you to chew on that. This is probably something that you've never really heard before. Like, oh, oh, oh what about Israel? What about, what about the kingdoms? What about the nation of Israel? What about the sacrifices? What about the prophets? What about the church? Like, none of that is in there. But I think as you look at the, the general story of Scripture, you see that a common theme, one of the main things that God is doing in the Bible is trying to unite heaven and earth and bring them together in one place. And so we're going to real quick go through kind of like the overall, like, narrative of scripture to see how this plays, plays out. So the, the, the story begins in Genesis chapter 1 with creation, right? And what is God creating? This begins with God creating heaven on earth, doesn't he? And that is symbolized, or not that symbolized, that is, is a present and seen in the Garden of Eden, this perfect place where God and man are together in perfect relationship. There is no barrier. Everyone is in perfect relation. There is harmony. They can speak to God. God speaks to them. They, they are working together. They are partnering to God, together, as Genesis 1 says, or in Genesis says, they're partnering together to rule the earth. Heaven and earth are overlapping in this place. And it is perfect, and it is wonderful, and the weather is great, and there's no snow in April, or there's no rain at the end of May like it is here. It's perfect and amazing. Heaven is on earth in the Garden of Eden. Then we hit Genesis chapter 3, and the second stage of this story of the, re the union and reunion of heaven and earth is sin separating heaven from earth. So immediately after sin happens, the decision is made to eat the fruit. The decision is made to, to determine, to redefine good and evil in your own terms. Sin enters the world, and then heaven and earth are separated. The man and, and Adam and Eve have to leave the garden. And then the relationship between God and humans are changed. They're not connecting like they used to. There is suspicion. There is distrust. 
there was confusion. And, 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 and so we see the separation of heaven from earth. And the rest of Genesis from 3 to 11 is really about what happens to the world when heaven and earth are separated. What happens when sin has its way? And from Genesis 3 to 11, it's just basically everything goes bad. Everything is horrible. Everything is terrible. Now that heaven and earth have been separated, everything is horrible. So we begin with God creating heaven on earth. Then we see sin separating heaven from earth. And then we enter into the main narrative of Scripture, basically from Genesis chapter 12 to the book of Revelation. That, that period, that huge period, what it really is about is God reuniting heaven and earth. And he does this in two stages, right? So, so stick with me. He does this in two stages. The first stage is through a family, and the father's name is Abraham. And he enters into this agreement, this promise with Abraham. And he says, listen, we are going to make this thing work. I'm going to bring heaven and earth. And it's going to start here right in your family. Because you're going to follow me. I'm going to take care of you. We're going to be together. And I'm going to take you, this, this little family, from out of Babylon. And I'm going to create a great nation. And so the first stage is he does this through the people of Israel, through Abraham's line, and he creates this nation. And what he does is he creates a physical kingdom, like literally a physical place. Like, like you could walk on the streets or walk on the road and enter into Israel and be like, oh, this is the place that's supposed to be heaven on earth. Because in, in this place, this physical kingdom, this physical space, God is supposed to be king. That was the intent, right? The intent was God would be king, and the world can see, what is it like when God is king? Oh, it's amazing. Right? So people could visit that town like you would visit Disneyland. You know, like when you walk into Disneyland, and you walk into Main Street, and you're like, this feels different. You know what I mean? Like, it smells like popcorn and flowers, right? I know some people don't like Disneyland. I like Disneyland. But that moment, wherever that place is for you, when you walk in, and there's like a different atmosphere. That's what it was supposed to be. A physical place where people could see, ah, kingdom of heaven, heaven and earth are connected in this place. Now, it's imperfect. It's not exactly what it's supposed to be. It's not back to Garden of Eden. But God is in the process of reuniting heaven and earth once again. And he does this by creating this thing called the tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle and the temple. You see, in, in, in biblical times, the temple or the tabernacle before they had their nation and before they built the building, the temple was the physical place where God was present and dwelled among his people. And there's like this physical manifestation, like you could see the presence of God in a place in like the smoke. And so in this kingdom that's supposed to be ruled by God, there was a temple, his dwelling place, where he was literally living on earth, where heaven had come to earth. And so he creates this tabernacle, this temple, in order to, to, to create that space. But because of what sin had done, remember, sin separated heaven from earth. And so because of what it had done, God had to institute also the sacrificial system in order for people to actually be able to engage with God and to encounter God when heaven was on earth in this place. You guys with me? 
And so that's why in the Bible, there's so much stuff about sacrifice. If you've read it, if you got to Exodus, maybe like in, in, in January, you're like, all right, I'm going to read the Bible. All right, I'm going to order that one-year Bible. I'm going to read it. You read Genesis, and like, it's cool. It's kind of fun. There's like some exciting stories. You get to Exodus. It's still pretty good. You got the plagues and Egypt and all that stuff. And then there gets a section where it just like talks about sacrifices over and over and over again. The reason why it's talking about sacrifices is because sacrifices was one of the way, main methods for people to come to God for heaven and earth to be united. So it's a big deal. So God does two things to reunite heaven and earth. It's temple slash tabernacle and sacrifice. So that's the first stage of God trying to reunite heaven and earth. And then the second stage, well, the first stage doesn't go very well. Right, because Israel wants a king. Turns out they are corrupt. They're bad. They like do all the bad things that all the other nations do. In fact, they do worse. It's like horrible. It, it doesn't work out very well. And then the second stage is much better because in the second stage, that's when we get to Jesus. That's when we get to Jesus. And in fact, when Jesus is doing his ministry and he's, he's living here, dawn, he writes one of the gospels and listen to what he says about Jesus. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling is a really interesting word because this is the same word that is translated, the same word in Hebrew that is translated as the tabernacle. So Jesus the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John is making the connection that Jesus and the temple are almost the same thing. That Jesus who is walking on this earth, this person who is walking around, he is the dwelling of God on earth just like the temple was years and years and years ago. And so Jesus is this walking temple, this walking place of heaven and earth coming together. In fact, in John chapter 2, there's this story where he goes to the temple, and the temple is all corrupt, and people are taking advantage of people, and he gets really mad. And maybe you've read this story, and maybe you thought the story was very strange. Like, why would Jesus get so mad that people are doing that? Because what they are doing there is they're basically keeping people away from the temple. Because people are coming and say, hey, I'd like to come and make sacrifice. And they're like, basically, can you afford it? Do you have enough money? Oh, what sacrifices are you doing? Oh, I don't know about that. Here, why don't you buy these sacrifices? I know it's three times more expensive, but, but it's a better sacrifice. And the people are coming to change money so they can buy those things, and they're inflating the prices and taking advantage of the people. Basically, they're undermining what the temple was supposed to do, which was to bring people and God together. And so Jesus gets really upset, and he flips over the table and says, get out of here. Like, you can't do this. I won't stand for this. And the religious leaders say, hey, hey, who said you can do that? Who said you can do that? Who gave you the right and the authority to tell us what we can or cannot do in the temple? He says, why don't you do a miracle to show us that? And he says, you know, we want a miracle? I'll show you a miracle. In three days, I will destroy this temple and build it back up. And they're like, what are you talking about? This, this temple took 46 years to build, and you're going to destroy it? First of all, how are you going to destroy the temple? Like, what's going on? And then you're going to rebuild it in three days. And in that text, in that story, John reflects on it and begins to understand what Jesus was really talking about. He says, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. 
And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus was the temple. He was this walking, living, breathing temple place where heaven and earth were being reunited. And in the same book, John talks about when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he calls him the Lamb of God. He says, behold, there is a Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So remember, the two things, the two things that God did in ancient Israel to bring heaven and earth together was the tabernacle and sacrifice. Jesus walks on the scene. He is a walking tabernacle. He is a walking temple, but he is also the Lamb of God, the sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world. So this is the second stage of Jesus, of God reuniting heaven and earth. It's still incomplete. It's still not perfect. But Jesus is there in that space where Jesus is. That is the perfect representation of heaven and earth united. Then he dies and he's resurrected and he begins the church and the church is launched. And now we're in the book of Acts and the, the letters of the New Testament that are written by Paul and Peter and all those guys. And he, this church begins and the church is started. And Jesus teaches his disciples to go and be like him, follow my way and do what I did, teach what I taught, do the things I did. Go around and be examples of me and teach what I taught. And go around interacting and create the church, these pockets these pockets of places where heaven and earth are coming together. This actually is crazy when you think about what this means for the local church. Like, what is the local church then? The local church then, according to this overarching story, is not an institution. It's not necessarily simply an organization. It's not just a place to go. These churches, these communities are supposed to be pockets of heaven and earth overlapping. Like when you walk into church, you should be like, wow, I'm walking into a place where heaven and earth have come together. And that's why the way we treat each other is so important. That's why when people walk through the doors, and that's why community is so important. And, and it's so important that we understand how this, this group of people, this community are supposed to interact with others. Because we are supposed to be little pockets of heaven on earth everywhere we are. In fact, Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to pray, one of the things he says in his prayer is, is you need to pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. So the church is supposed to be this place. And then finally, so that's, the, that's, that's that stage, the reuniting of heaven and earth in this overarching story and then the last phase, the last phase, and we're just going to do this real quick because this is real simple. At the end, we had God creating, we had sin separating, God reuniting at the very end. We have God recreating heaven on earth. And just one verse for you in Revelation chapter 21. The guy, John, has a, has a vision and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. In the book of Revelation, with all the craziness, all the images, all the prophecies, all the confusing things that you might read, this is what it's about. God is recreating heaven on earth once again. Now, this is why I think the overall story of the Bible is a union and reunion. It is God uniting and reuniting heaven 
and earth together. So this is a real quick breakdown. God creating heaven on earth, Genesis chapter 1, 2. Sin separating heaven from earth, Genesis 3 to 11. God reuniting heaven and earth in the two stages, the people of Israel and Jesus from Genesis chapter 12 to the book of, to Jude. And then finally in Revelation, God recreating heaven on earth. Now, how is this supposed to help you and help me study the Bible? How does this story fit in with kind of my struggles, my personal issues with Scripture, if like it's boring or confusing? Or, or, or it seems irrelevant. You know, like, for example, and I'll just do one example or two examples. Uh, because, you know, one of the books or one of the areas of Scripture that I think people are like, ah, I don't know about that, right? Like, is, is kind of like the, the prophet books, the major minor prophets, and like Kings and Chronicles. If you guys ever read that, like, you've probably been like, I don't know, dude. I don't know what, what I'm reading here. Like, it just seems really repetitive, Right, we, we're just, God just saying the same thing over and over and over again. When I look at Kings and Chronicles, it's like the same stuff. Like, and it's just basically this king did evil, this king did good, this king did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And you're like, okay, well, well, what is this really about? Well, when you understand this from the story, that this is one of the methods that God was reuniting heaven and earth in, in the form of this kingdom, and when we understand that God is the active agent of the story, he's the main character of the story, not the kings, not Israel, but God, it changes the way we look at these stories. I don't know about you, but when I read 1 Kings and 2 Kings and Chronicles, most of the time what I'm thinking is, how could these guys be so stupid? Right? If you've read Kings and Chronicles, you know what I'm talking. You're like, how could they keep doing that? They keep making the same mistake over and over and over and over again. Like, why can't you learn from your mistakes? Like, this king was bad, and all this stuff happened. This king was good, and it was great. So maybe just be a good king, right? Like, like when I look at it, I'm like, man, you guys are, are, you guys don't get it. You guys don't understand. When I look at it as Israel as the main character of the story, that's where my mind goes. Those are the kinds of questions and thoughts I have. But what happens when you think of God is the main character of the story and what he's doing is trying to unite heaven and earth in this nation? The questions and thoughts change and shift. It shifts from what's wrong with these guys to how does God respond to people who act like this? How does God respond to people who make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And how is God's actions and words and messages, how is God moving the needle towards bringing heaven and earth closer together in this story? And if he says something that is surprising to me, maybe he's not as kind and merciful and as loving as I thought he would be, how is that God bringing people and bringing heaven to earth. How is he doing that? It, it changes the way, the way we look at the story. It's no longer focused on, these guys are so bad, I better not be like them, I better do something different. The focus is on how does God respond and work with these people as he's trying to bring perfect, ideal heaven to these people who live on this broken compromised world and they're terrible but they're also my beloved creation and my children it's a completely different way to look at the story 
And I want to close by talking about how this story changes how I see the cross. And this is like so powerful for me. And I don't know if it's going to be for you, but it's so powerful for me when I think about the cross as, as, as a part of this, this story. And a part of what God is really doing in this, in this world. Right, when we look at the cross and we celebrate the cross and you think about the cross, I feel like where our minds go is like the suffering, yeah? The pain. Oh, Jesus went through so much. And he was, he was beaten and bruised and he was whipped and like they put nails in his hands and crown of thorns. Oh, and he was, oh, it was so bad. And he sacrificed and did all that for me. And like that's absolutely true. And, and there is a time where we must think about that and reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus. But for a moment... As we close, let's take a step back and think about the cross being a part of this plan to bring heaven and earth together. So Jesus is this temple. He is this tabernacle. He in himself is like this perfect embodiment of what happens when the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven has come. Right In him, he is God and man, he is fully God, and he is fully man. So like, this is Jesus walking around, being heaven and on earth. His life is, in his life is this reality scene. And every time he interacts with someone, they're like stepping into a place where heaven and earth are fully overlapped and together. Right? Every time he goes into a place and interacts and has a relationship with his people, they're experiencing heaven and earth together. He is the tabernacle, he is the temple, and he is the Lamb of God. He is all that in one person. And when he's faced with the cross, when he is faced with his death, when he's faced with the cross, this, this punishment that he didn't deserve, he willingly lays down his life. This innocent man who is walking, the walking embodiment of heaven and earth he willingly lays down his life for guilty people. This, this king, this innocent, good, righteous king dies for his ungrateful, sinful people. And when he is on the cross, that cross is the moment where you see what it really is like when heaven, the perfect, ideal, wonderful heaven, meets sinful earth. And when you look at the cross, like I know the cross is many things for a lot of people, but as I look at it from this perspective and I look at the cross and think about the cross, Jesus hanging on the cross, you see and you come to realize, oh, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. You know, like Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in so many ways, and it's very confusing. And you read the, all the teaching of Jesus, and you're like, okay, the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like this. But on the cross, you look at him, the king on the cross, dying for sinful people, even though he's innocent. And you're like, oh, that's the kingdom of heaven. That's what the kingdom of heaven is really is really like. That is the spirit of the kingdom of heaven. This 
complete others-centered, giving of themselves kind of spirit. And like that's what we're seeing at the cross. And, and, and when he dies, it's what happens when heaven, which is perfect and righteous and wonderful, meets earth that is sinful and, and wicked and evil. What happens? Heaven dies for earth. And it's this, like, full, authentic, like, non-idealized, non-Instagram-filtered version of the story. Like, it is raw, and it is sad, and it's painful, and it's like, it, it makes you cringe when you see that. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And then three days later, and three days later, death is defeated, and Jesus is resurrected. And he is brought into new life. That he who was dead is brought alive once again. And then what we see here in that moment, that resurrection, is not just crazy because a person came back from the dead. It is crazy because this is the complete and full picture of what happens when heaven meets earth. And it points to Revelation chapter 21 when he says God is creating a new heaven and earth. He began that movement. He began that in Jesus Christ. When he was resurrected. So this story, guys, to me, is compelling and powerful and wonderful and beautiful. And it is bigger than I've ever, ever imagined. And this is a story that I would gladly love to share with people. And here's what's so beautiful about this story. About what God is doing, what the Bible is really about. What he's doing is he's trying to combine, connect, unite heaven on earth. And the beauty of this is that this is exactly what you want. And this is exactly what your, your neighbor who doesn't believe in Jesus, that's what they want. And this is what you who, who rejected Jesus and maybe walked away from church and, and, and you, you want to have nothing to do with church, when you think about it, this is what you want. You want to live in a place where heaven and earth are one. And that is the story of the Bible. Among other things, that is the story of the Bible. And the calling for us is can we live in that reality and everywhere we go, can we be pockets of heaven and earth? In our relationships and interactions with people, can people meet us, experience us, encounter us, face us, and be like, that was a moment where I feel like I was heaven on earth. Is this church, this community, this building, when I enter that, is that a little bit of heaven on earth? You see, I don't know what you think the story of the Bible is, but it is not a story of how you get to heaven. Yes, heaven is there. But the story of the Bible is not how you get to heaven. The story of the Bible, and listen to this, the story of the Bible is how God wants to get heaven into you. It's not about how to get to heaven. It's about how God wants to bring heaven into each and every single one of us. Next week, like I said, we're going to be talking about the, the purpose and the posture of Bible study. How can we approach the Bible? How can we approach the scripture? How can we approach the story in the right way so that the Bible and scripture and, and what God does in it impacts us the way it's supposed to impact us? So I want to invite you guys back as we close to next week, part three of how to study the Bible. Let's pray.
Gracious God in heaven, Lord, man, we tackled some, some really difficult concepts today. And, and I, I hope and pray that I, people weren't lost. And if they were, Lord God, I believe that you are working in their lives and in their heart. But Father, Lord, I just wanted to be faithful. And Father, I just wanted to respond to your message, God. And Lord, I, I, I just pray, God, that today we would begin to experience that experience of heaven on earth in this community and in this place. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for showing us truly what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's a place where even the king would die for his people. Lord, I want to live there. And I don't want to just live there after I die and, and thousands of years later. I want to live in that place now. And so, Father, I invite you into this moment to our hearts that we would make that decision to commit to living in the kingdom. Now, it is good news, and that is the story of the Bible. Thank you for giving us the word and sharing the story with us. In your name we pray. Amen.